to Q&A with Dr. K, a podcast by Mountain Pacific Quality Health, where we sit down with Dr. Doug Kunzweiler and get your health questions answered. Because on Q&A with Dr. K, the doctor is always in. This is Beth Brown, your host, and I'm here as always with our very good friend, Dr. Kutzweiler. Hi. Today's patient question comes from someone I happen to be talking with who wanted to ask about hospice care and really understanding what hospice is about. Specifically, when do you decide it's time for hospice? And then understanding what Medicare will cover and won't cover. So this person had a loved one in hospice, and they were confused about being told that they couldn't go to the emergency room or get certain care that this loved one wanted or thought they needed because it was, quote, outside of hospice care. So, Dr. K, you've had experience caring for hospice patients, right, in your long career. So did you get these kinds of questions from folks when you cared for them? Sure, sure. And the hospice is uh, sort of nebulous, and I think most people don't have a really good idea of, of what it is, but... It basically started becoming popular, I think, around the 1970s, and it's just end-of-life care. And so if you have a, a person who has a, a fatal illness and they decide that they are tired of treating it, tired of fighting it, you can still have care under hospice. And hospice treats you know, whatever symptoms you have, it helps you stay socialized. It helps the family take care of the patient. It, it can address your spiritual concerns. Every aspect of end-of-life care is covered by hospice. And when you think about, well, who delivers this? Well, there are uh, non-profit hospice associations. There are for-profit hospice associations. And you have to look around in your community and see what's available. But it can be delivered in hospital, it can be delivered in nursing home, it can be delivered uh, in the patient's own home. And that was my mom's experience. We did hospice in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, which I think it maybe can be trickier there or not, I'm not sure. But when we talk about this patient's question of what care you can get and what care you can't get, what does that mean? Well, I, I think people get confused because... They feel like if, if the doctor says you've only got six months to live and we're going to put you on hospice, that then you have to stay at home and you can't have any medication or any active treatment. And that's, and that's not true. Medicare, uh, you know, you can always call and see what, what is Medicare going to pay for. They often will pay for in-home care, for some skilled nursing care in home, for non-skilled uh, help in the home. They will pay for medications. Now, sometimes you will get into situations where if it's an active, say, cancer treatment, uh, they may say, well, that's really not what hospice is about. And so they may not pay for that. But they're always open to discussion, actually. And you can talk about uh, what what they will pay for and what they won't pay for. But in general, they will pay for everything except active treatment that is aimed at extending someone's life. And sometimes there are gray areas, and your, your primary caregiver can uh, sometimes uh, convince uh, Medicare or whoever is paying for it to, to cover things that are maybe in a little bit of a gray area. And you can get other care. If you need to go to the emergency room, that hospice uh, doesn't stop at, at your door. They, they can 
cover uh, emergency stuff, especially if it has to do with comfort. Yeah, that's great. And I think the biggest message there is if you don't understand, ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. And your primary caregiver should uh, know something about it. But there are also uh, other resources. Uh, you can you can call any of the hospice providers in your community. And the other thing that people, I think, get confused about is once you're on hospice, you don't have to stay on it. If you decide that there's a new development and you feel like maybe you want to start doing some more active treatment again, you can always go off of hospice. Uh, and to start on it, your physician or, or your provider usually certifies that you have a condition that is likely to be fatal within the next six months. And so people <laughs> think, well, when the six months is up, what, do I have to go back on active treatment? No, your doctor just has to certify again that, you know, we expected that that would be six months, but, uh, you know, they're still alive and we expect that sometime within the next six months uh, they, will, they will die. So. It's, it's fairly fluid, but you have to talk to people and don't hesitate to ask questions. People probably hear the term hospice. They hear palliative care. They hear comfort care. What's the differences between those, or are they all kind of the same? They're all similar. Palliative care is, is strictly treating symptoms to make people as comfortable as possible. Hospice is really broader than that, and it, it doesn't mean if you have other chronic conditions you don't stop treating those other hospitals. You can still treat your high blood pressure. You can still treat your diabetes. Uh, if you have, you know, chronic lung disease, you can still be on oxygen and, and do your breathing treatments and all of that. Palliative care uh, specifically addresses uh, the very end of life care and keeping people comfortable. Let's talk about caregivers. You've mentioned all the different settings where people might be able to get hospice, but a lot of people do get that care in their homes and they have family or people who love them around them. What should they know? Well, they should know that it really should be a team effort. Taking care of somebody who's dying in your home is a, it's a monumental task and people shouldn't be attempting to do that alone. So, you know, you should put together a team of family members, of friends, volunteers, and then the hospice team uh, can come in and advise you as to what other resources there are. If you are going to be the primary caregiver, you really need some respite, and there are respite services available through the hospice so that you can get away because it's, it takes a real toll on you physically and mentally and spiritually. Yeah, that is so important, and people tend to neglect doing that because they're more worried about the person who's sick than right. about themselves. Right, and you know, if you wear yourself out, then you can't be any good to anybody else. That's so, true. So you really, it takes a team, and that's how you should think about it. What are my resources? Uh, who do I know that I trust that can help? And then put that together. And and that's a reason to talk about hospice early so that you can do that for me. Yeah. Most people uh, are pleased with their hospice experience. But they almost universally say, we wish we had done this sooner. So you mentioned the breathing treatment, for example, for someone who has a chronic lung disease. Are there certain medications people can or cannot take once they've gone on hospice? Well, I I talked about that a little bit before. Not so much. There are some things that are very specific, like cancer treatment drugs that hospice shies away from because their goal is to prolong life and hospice is really not about so much prolonging life, it's about making life better in the final stages. Uh, so there are, are some drugs that are, that, that are designed just to prolong life, and, and those you might not 
continue. Treatments like radiation treatments, you might not necessarily, but again, there's gray areas. If the radiation is for comfort so that you can swallow better or that kind of thing, you're not so loud and paid for it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so basically you need to stop treating the illness and you're just trying to help the person be comfortable. Anything right. that treats the illness, that's what you cross out. Right. Okay, right. perfect. So morphine and those kind of painkiller drugs, how do they come into play that they don't do anything to treat? They just make the person comfortable. Right, right. That's part of the palliative care. Whatever it takes to make people more comfortable. And sometimes that can look like active treatment. I mean, there are drugs that we think of as active treatment drugs. You know, And, and sometimes the patients themselves uh, negotiate this. You know, I, I had... Uh, a hospice patient who had severe rheumatoid arthritis and was just tired of being in pain all the time. And she got pneumonia, and the hospice would have paid to treat the pneumonia because dying of pneumonia is uncomfortable and not very pleasant. And she refused. She said, no. So we didn't treat it. We could have, but we didn't because that was her wish. Nothing is really written in stone when you're talking about hospice. Some things can be negotiated and some things that you would think maybe wouldn't be paid for or can be paid for. Talking about morphine specifically, I know some people are worried or have read, um, and I think it is partially true, but I just want your expertise on this, that morphine can expedite the dying process. Yeah, but that's usually very at the very end. Uh, morphine tends to depress your respiratory drive. And so if you give people enough morphine, they stop breathing. And that's how people die of overdoses, is they just stop breathing. But for people who, say, have cancer, they have a, you know, severe pain, people's tolerance to morphine goes up pretty quickly. And, and you, you wind up, you know, escalating the doses just to keep them comfortable. Uh, the worry about, well, I'm basically killing them is that's not really what happens. Okay, good. Because I do think that can be a person's concern. They want their loved one to be comfortable, but they also want to make right, sure absolutely, absolutely. it's happening and It's naturally. possible. I mean, with the narcotic medications we have today, it's possible to titrate things very carefully and keep them comfortable, and, and you're not necessarily ending their life soon. Okay, good. That's probably a relief for a lot of folks. So you talked about, if we talked about too, if you have questions, ask them. What questions should you ask for people who are sort of in that numb, like, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what I should be doing? What are some questions that you can give them that they can have in their back pocket? Well, I, I think the first thing is to talk to the patient and say, uh, how do you feel about this? Are you ready to, to kind of stop struggling with active treatment and just think about you know, maximizing the time you have left, making that as pleasant as possible? Because once they make that decision, then it's just a matter of, as I said, getting your team together, talking to your local hospice, seeing you know, what services they have available. Well, I, I kind of neglected to mention the VA also has hospice services. So if you have a veteran uh, who has a terminal illness and is getting tired of fighting it, uh, you should talk to the VA because they can provide respite services and they can provide hospice services. And you can talk about a care plan with the hospice team as well, right? And Right, absolutely. That's what they will do. Um, you know, and they are used to doing this, so they will see what resources you have and they will advise you of what resources the hospice has. And together and, and with the patient, you will come up with a plan of what you're going to do. And it, it makes people feel a lot better if, you know, you've, you've thought it out ahead of time and you have a plan, you know, if you need to go to the hospital at the end uh, because it's just too difficult to keep them comfortable at home anymore, 
that's totally appropriate and that's covered. So uh, just knowing ahead of time what the plan is, how things are going to go, is a big relief. I've, I've seen so many people where they didn't go through this and push came to shove and the patient was dying. You know, they come rushing into the ER and it's it's uh, a chaotic scene and it's not good for anybody, particularly the patient, and, but not good for the family either. So talking about it early on, getting a plan, everything is much better. So we talked about respite care. What about once the person has passed, because obviously that's what we're preparing for here, but grief and kind of dealing with that death. Yeah, most hospices incorporate uh, some either psychologists or or clergy that are trained in grief counseling, and that's that's a part of hospice, is helping the family grieve. and, And again, planning for that ahead of time also provides quite a bit of relief. Hopefully we've covered everything that the person um, asked about. But just in case somebody needs more information, as always, let's end with some great resources for folks. Well, it turns out there's a national hospice and palliative care organization. So Perfect. That's where I would go first. Uh, and then I would talk to, there may be more than one hospice available in your community. So I'd go and talk to them. And most hospices are affiliated uh, with a physician. Often it's a primary care physician. Uh, most people are very knowledgeable. So even if that's not, you know, your loved one's primary caregiver, uh, they will be involved with the with the hospice association. So it's good to talk to them and see what they recommend. Yeah, and everybody's different. So sometimes just talking about the specific situation is your best bet. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, perfect. But we will put those resources uh, at the bottom of our episode for folks who would like to learn more about hospice or understanding hospice care. And thank you, Dr. K. Thank you. All right. And thank you for listening. And if you have a question for Dr. K, please email us at Q&A with Dr. K at mpqhf.org. And that email address will be with this episode as well. Please email us your questions. The doctor is always in. <laughs>